and was only suitable for people aged 18 or over will almost certainly have an adult theme and might well contain sex or violence which are quite graphic. It may also contain explicit language, including sexual swear words. Thanks for listening. Uh, but here's what his revelation comes to him. He's kind of got all this stuff, like, uh, touching, wiping, mourning of the animals. Not wiping, whipping. whipping. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah, not touch, also not touching. I am, I am dyslexic. I, I hope I'm not having like, a stroke. Do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! And an atheist almost always become supporters of eugenics and abortion. A swine is hungry for nuts. Jesus hates him too. Satan is real. Being a Satanist is an open declaration of revolt against counterproductive received wisdom and mindless rogue traditions. Decapitate her head off. We're done. Done. We're done. Obama! Welcome to the Godless Revolution. My name is Dan Ellis, and this is episode 125. Today is Sunday, October 2nd, and I'm in the studio all by my lonesome. There is no Matt Mitchell, there is no Ryan Duffy, there is no guest sitting across from me, nor will there be one joining us via Skype this evening. I'm here all by myself, just to throw in some background information for the clips you'll be hearing tonight. This episode is, as promised, a Best of Matt Mitchell episode. Matt brings a whole lot to the show. He's funny, he's fiery, he's got a quick comedic wit that always leaves me laughing. He's also someone who thinks a lot about what he thinks a lot about. In other words, he's also a deep thinker who works to make sure that he has a good basis for thinking the way he does. It's difficult for a lot of us sometimes to explore opposing views and trying to figure out why people think the way they do, but I know that Matt is somebody who does work to to do that and to understand those opposing views to make sure that his own views are in line with reality. I think that's one of the things that I most admire about him. You'll notice as we move through these clips that the sound quality improves with each one. That's because I've listed them in order of appearance from our earliest episodes to the most recent episodes. We've made a whole lot of changes over the last two and a half years. Uh, We've created an actual studio for recording We've upgraded our mic stands. We've got windscreens to handle plosive words. We've added some mute buttons to cover background coughing and some shock mounts so that when we're banging on the table or accidentally hit the mic stand, you don't hear a rumbling or a dong or any sound like that. You might hear a dong sometimes, but that's usually just the clips we're playing in the background making fun of people. Anyway, we've done a lot to change the sound of the show and how the show flows. I think we're consistently getting better and hopefully. That is something that will continue. It's something that I certainly plan to continue doing, upgrading our equipment, always working to make the show sound better for you, dear listener, because we love you. This first bit comes from episode 58. It's the one where Dan Errol was a guest talking about godless parenting with us. It's also the episode that I would say probably is the first instance of anything that I would consider a Matt rant or a, or a what matters segment. Uh, it's also the first time that I think Matt really took any or any news article or anything and through a, through a editorial commenting process kind of made it his own little thing that I fucking love when he does that. They're, they're always very entertaining. Matt is just about done with his EMT training. So he should be joining us on the show again very soon. Until then, we'll start with this clip. It's about the June 26, 2015 SCOTUS decision legalizing same-sex marriage throughout the United States. 
Enjoy. I want to change gears. Okay, okay. let's do it. I want to go to what's uh, what's happening with with the the backlash of the SCOTUS ruling, which I wasn't here for last week, but we missed you a lot for that. <sighs> That's I'm right. Glad you, I'm glad you had a good time. I put yeah, thanks. camping. Thanks, man. I put together a little paragraph that I want to get out of the way here. Okay, let's while do I was it. In my tent, but I'll do that in a minute. While I was in my tent, yeah, I, I mean, pitched I, a tent and thought of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, first I thought of you guys, then I pitched a oh, tent. Oh, <laughs> right, I had that backward. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> 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 oh no, frozen beer, half frozen. It's or did you bang everywhere. it on something? On um, okay, so there, there's been some craziness going on since <laughs> the SCOTUS ruling that um, all citizens should have equal rights, and somehow people are fucking going nuts about it on the religious right, particularly. What equality? That's not acceptable. You yeah. attacked my religion. <laughs> so I picked up an article, uh, and I... It was. It's from the Chicago Tribune. Uh, Dennis Bird actually authored this, and I thought, you know, Chicago, you know, maybe this would give me a little bit of an update of what's going on. This this guy should write for cartoons. He's so full of fucking hyperbole and bullshit. <laughs> I started reading it. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm keeping this for the show because this is fucking out of control. Does he think you can walk like ten feet off a cliff? And not realize that you're off the cliff until you look down. <laughs> right. Well, as as long as you don't hold up a sign saying "Oops, you won't fall." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I titled it, "But I don't want to share my toys." <laughs> News. Um, and he starts it by saying, "The world isn't coming to an end now that same-sex marriage is legal in all states, but the way that the Supreme Court." forced its historic change on everyone is clear, present, and grave danger. <laughs> so I read that first paragraph, and I'm like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Uh, the court unnecessarily interrupted the formation of a national cons- cons- consensus approving gay... I'm going to have trouble with words. I do this every fucking this. time. No, I didn't write it. I didn't fucking write this. What are you talking? <laughs> Who said I wrote this? I'm joking. <laughs> oh, you wrote the first paragraph. No, I didn't. Well, the paragraph in your tent. Oh, you didn't. No, get to that, that yet. no, that no. That's no. You'll know when it's my when it's my writing. <laughs> this is this is the Chicago. I, I got some going beer in to my be eye. So much better. Obviously, <laughs> it will be. It I will believe be. you. I believe you. <laughs> but it'll sound like me. Does this sound like me, Ryan? No, no, no. Yes. <laughs> oh no. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, Dennis. Dennis Byrne of the Chicago Tribune goes on to say the court unnecessarily interrupted the formation of the national consensus approving gay marriage and set the stage for unremitting, costly and fruitless battles over how high this court's dictum should be applied. It's reminiscent of how Americans were forging a middle ground on abortion and on demand in their state legislatures decades ago until the high handed court stepped in with unchallengeable, autocratic, and poorly argued decisions in Roe v. Wade. Autocratic, really? Yeah. And unchallengeable and high-handed court and all that stuff. Yeah. So the fight for same-sex marriage isn't over. That I agree with. What's this fucking guy's name? Dennis Bird. Dennis Bird. De- no, sorry. Dennis Byrne. Dennis oh, Byrne. I was going to use Laria first. <laughs> no. <clears throat> uh, Wasn't he in Men Without Hats? I'm too young. Never mind. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, la, la, la. The fight for same-sex marriage isn't over, not by a long shot. I agree. People on opposite ends of the argument will make sure of that. Yes, that's true. 
goes on about Kennedy's majority opinion. Uh, to justify the decision, Kennedy had to twist the equal protection clause of the Constitution into an unrecognizable form that will that will open the door to many and fantastic claims for equality. Did you twist it into a pretzel? Because I recognize that one. Yeah, those, but that would be Jewish, so no. But fantastic claims for equality yeah. why who how can you justify objecting to equality you what shouldn't. is your fucking problem all right the supreme court's job as it is set down in the constitution according to dennis Byrne, uh and case law is to decide what actions are lawful yes and that's what they did but this overreaching decision he says the supreme court determined that it that it could exclusively divine what is wise and proper, no matter what a Congress elected by the American citizens has determined. It divined it. It just had just had a yeah. couple fucking rods out in front of it, right. waving yeah, them around. Right, right, right. Wait until they cross. Wait until they cross. Also, isn't divine a good thing? From this fuck, what are you talking from about? From this guy's perspective, yes, yeah. it should be. What the fuck, dude. And, w- and when he's talking about like the rules and shit, I d- I didn't see any of the dissenting judges say anywhere inside the constitution where this couldn't be allowed yeah. besides citing jiggery pokery and <laughs> popcorn or whatever nice <laughs> uh he goes on to say that this court has cast its role as the supreme leader like that guy running things in iran wait did the did the supreme court just come out and say just just this is what we've decided. Here's our fiat. Fucking follow it. No, this <laughs> went to them, right? They had to make a decision. It wasn't that they right. all gathered together and said, this is what we are going to tell the American people they have to do. Right. Right. Um, he goes on to talk about how dangerous that can be with the Supreme Court at the top of the leadership and uh, deviates from the formula of three co-equal branches of government the Constitution created. No, it doesn't. It fucking follows it exactly. I know. That's why when I started reading this, I'm like, I'm fucking keeping this because this guy's out of his fucking mind. Having taken over the question of marriage, lock, stock, and barrel, um, I said, yeah, this was the case taken by the court with the intention of ruling on it. What's the issue? God. Of course they ruled on it, you fucking moron. That's what they did. That's what they took the case it's for. Not like that's job. It's not like they didn't hear the arguments on either side. Right. Come up with a decision. For a few days. Yeah. An Bumps. example of the yeah. most immediate issue, he says. Just how much coercion can the government apply to force religions to bend to the will of government? Coercion and yeah. force. Jesus. That's where I said, oh, here we go. Okay. Um, religions are also required to follow laws, fuck nut. <laughs> if they don't, the government is authorized to step in. This is the yeah. most common misunderstanding from the re- religious right. They think that religious freedom is religious exemption. Yeah. They gay people can marry and you can still worship a 2,000-year-old invisible homeless socialist gay Jew. <laughs> but you do have to follow the law. Yeah. The Supreme Court in no way stepped outside their bounds. No. No. In fact, it shouldn't have even been that close. No. And the thing is, the case worked its way up to the Supreme Court. It went through the lower courts, and it made its way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court decided to Went to the lower courts, went to the state courts. It went through all the the legal courts. Yep. 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 But this is the beginning of an endless chain of expected challenges to religious liberty. The first of all rights enumerated in the Bill of Rights, he laments, how odd that the high court's slightest majority found an unwritten right in the Constitution that could supersede the First Amendment's clearly written directive that Congress shall make no law prohibiting the free exercise of religion. And they did no, th- no such thing, sir. 
And, this uh, fucking guy, this fucking guy, and all other Christians that that <laughs> believe the way he does, they they they're complaining about losing the freedom to tell other people what they're free yeah. to do. That's uh, why. I, that's why I say they're confusing religious liberty with religious yeah. exemption. Did did yeah. he forget the other part of that sentence in the First Amendment? Yes. Yeah, I figured he forgot the part where yeah. it says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, and that's why I say that's why the, the judges ruled that way. These are not atheist justices. They're almost all fucking Catholics. Do you think if they were anti-religious, they would have done it at all, you fucking idiot? God. I'm surprised they haven't attacked the, is it the Fourth Amendment that says there shall be no religious test in order to hold office. And even yeah. even if they're not all Christians, they are all religious. Yes, yeah. that's what I'm Every saying. They're not them. atheists. Yeah. yeah. Right. So some of them are able to take is. their religious and put it aside and go, what is right here? What does the Constitution say? Because they're constitutional lawyers. Their job is to look at the Constitution, go, okay, does that meet that? Okay, according to the Constitution, it says this. And yes, they have that right. Mm-hmm. That's their only fucking job. The threat to religion lurking ahead, it was starkly revealed during oral arguments when Justice Samuel Alito asked the government's lawyer, Solicitor General Donald Verrilli, if a religious-affiliated college that opposes same-sex marriage could lose government funding. If it opposed interracial marriage, Verrilli's response, it's going to be an issue. And he says, indeed. And I say, and it fucking should be. Absolutely. They never should have had that in the first place. Yeah. And again, discrimination is illegal. Turn the argument around once in a while. Jesus Christ, if a Muslim didn't allow women or Christians, would the government support that? No. And the and that's the correct answer. You fucking idiots need to think once in a while, what if it was turned on you? Yeah. You That's the point, though. God, they can't yeah. think they out of their own that. fucking little box. I know. They can't put themselves nuts. in any other situation besides the privileged Christian male situation in which they find themselves. Yeah. They, they never stop to think about the perspective of it ever being mm-hmm. turned against them. Yeah, and this is why atheists and liberals score higher on AQ points in any measurable way to detect you know, intelligence. Well, and I just is. said that, and, and after saying it, I thought to myself, maybe that maybe that's not always true. Maybe they do somewhat try to project themselves into another position and, and realize, oh, shit, maybe one day the Muslims will be in the majority and they're going to want to try to strip shit away from me as a Christian. They never, But they never stop to think of it as just, just strip yeah. all of the religious all bullshit it. out of the way. Just treat everybody like a decent fucking human being. It's like when people, when they fear Sharia law is coming. I didn't get your point on that. That well, I, I I had initially said that you know they can only ever look at it through their own, oh. you know, Christian colored glasses. That yeah, you know, you're taking away my right to discriminate right. against other people or to yeah, tell right, other right. people how you know how much freedom they can right. have. Yeah, you're 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 making it illegal for me to be illegal. Yeah, yeah, that they can't ever think outside of their own little box. Right, but maybe maybe they do for a second think. Well, shit, what if I'm not in the majority? I need to fight to keep whatever type oh. of majority opinion that I and privilege that oh, okay. I have so that that never goes away. Rather than protecting the rights of everybody. Yeah, I'm prote- no. I'm looking okay. out for my own my specific privilege. interests only. Right, yeah. right, right. That would still be fucking dumb. Well, yeah, either way, yeah. they're fucking either, wrong. Either way, they're wrong and they're fucking dumb. Yeah. Well, it's just like, because that's the, that's the most, I mean, those two things, either nobody else has other views or we got to stay in power so nobody else can take it away from me. Those are both the most short sighted possibilities there are. Yeah. 
look, and look that's at, fucking look dumb. at how many Christians fear Sharia law coming into our country. It's like you do yeah, realize but they have their own version of it. Yeah. Yes, but I'm like I'm all saying, do you, they not realize that our laws prevent? That from happening for now, but what the Christians are trying to do is open it up to the possibility oh, yeah. of Sharia law coming in, and they don't realize that their best allies in this country are, are atheists, atheists. <laughs> who are trying to protect them from that very thing. We're trying to protect you from yourself, dumbass. <laughs> yeah, now take your fucking three IQ points and sit in the child's corner, you fucking dumbass. <laughs> to live in this country the way it was meant shit. to be as a secular nation. Yes, you fucking idiots. All right, back to this. Um, now that I'm calm, are, are, you, <laughs> you got about two minutes of being calm. Uh, blah, 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 blah. okay. Anti-discrimination is legal. Turn around on the argument yourself. Yeah, we covered all that. That prompted the heads of more than 70 religious affiliated schools to warn that the ruling would endanger those that adhere to quote, traditional religious and moral values to which I said, what is this, quote, moral high ground you claim, by the way? Oh, oh, it's that book? Yeah, the government's not allowed to value that thing. So what is the objection? Yeah, it's... <clears throat> uh, but in well, their minds, they are. That's, that's where they yeah, get that's, their teachings they, they, from. Yeah, they want that. That's what our country is based on. Yeah, because they just cannot see that eventually the Quran will become that book. Uh, will the tax-exempt status and government grants be cut off to the schools that still respect, teach, and uphold these values? And I say, I hope so, and bigoted churches as well. What of a college that refuses to provide student housing to married same-sex couples? What of a church that refuses to rent its basement hall for the same-sex wedding reception? Numerous religious charities and hospitals could be targeted. State civil rights commissions and private lawsuits will round out the threat. And I said, yes, targeted in a sense— this will help weed out the most egregious offenders mm -hmm. first for removing undue and illegal tax exemptions they've enjoyed and abused for decades anyway. That's that's the other thing there that people don't get is if you own a business, if you run a business, you are obliged to follow certain regulations and laws. Among those laws are to not discriminate against people that you hire or employ. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are a religious institution, you are exempt from those laws. Right. You're you're. You have the benefit of using the the tax money that has been spent in order to support your business thus far. The roads to your business, the yes. parking lot, the plumbing, mm, the yes. electricity, all of the infrastructure that you're enjoying as a business owner and a taxpayer, you have to follow certain federal and state regulations right. in order to operate operate your business. Yeah, yeah. and it doesn't the, matter what your beliefs are. Yeah, no, the, I I, uh, I have the right to refuse business to anybody. Does not fly in that situation. Nope. If you have an unruly customer in your store, yes, you can re reserve yep. the right to refuse service. If they do not follow, if they come in walking in naked, you can say, "Sir, please get out of here." Yeah, that that yeah. refers to conduct. Yeah, but there are yes. some specific reasons and and qualifications that, as a business owner, you cannot discriminate against. Somebody. Exactly. Yeah. If so you have two heterosexual couples come in and kiss, and you sell them a cake, but you will not sell it to the homosexual couple that come in and make kiss. Sorry. Right. That does not work that way. Yeah, so he goes on to whine about the endangerment of colleges and universities, and he says to punish those institutions for their beliefs is to it beliefs is a profound and momentous betrayal of the people who came to this continent hundreds of years before the Constitution was ratified, seeking religious liberty. And I said, it's not a punishment of beliefs. You're free to have those, but you can't act in illegal ways, no matter what the belief is, and that is supposed to be the same for everyone. 
that good old secular privilege, like all the pedophiles should go to jail, right? Fucking asshole. Yeah, regardless of their religious leanings. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah. And in response, our good old Senator Mike Lee. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck that guy. He's such an asshole. Yep. And Raul Labrador of Idaho introduced the First Amendment Defense Act that would ban discriminatory government treatment, such as the withholding of government grants against any person or institution that supports traditional marriage. They've taken the First Amendment and flipped it on its fucking yeah. head. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what I said. One can support both. I, for one, support marriage generally to those who yeah, want to get married, those who want it, gay and straight. But that's not what we're talking about. These guys are talking about only supporting one kind of marriage, yes. and that is discrimination. Yeah. Why is this so fucking hard to understand? And just because same-sex really marriage not. is now legal it's does not. not open up any other kind of perverted marriage that you think of. of yeah, it's it's uh, really not that hard to understand. No. They're just, it's not. It's marriage. It has nothing to do with your fucking religion. No. Go to your to goddamn church that's on every... Fu- Look, every time I drive to the store, I'm an atheist in this country, and I happen to know that this country was set up by at least a few atheists, and I have to watch everybody on a fucking Sunday go to your fucking stupid chapels every time and block up my goddamn roadway because they're too fucking lazy to park next to the door. So fuck you. Or even in the same fucking parking lot, they have to no. pick the they have to pick the spot closest yeah, to the door. Yeah, yeah. So fuck So they can you. make a speedy getaway. And your fucking liberties. <laughs> yeah, the one on my street does the same thing. The entire street's filled God, with cars and the parking lot's half full. I, yeah. I have two Mormon churches and a fucking Catholic church and I can never get out anywhere on Sunday. It drives me fucking crazy. There is a New Age church by my house. <laughs> anyway, That's an old gas station that only a has New about Age five church? people. What's the New Age church? I don't know. There's only about five people at it. Yeah. They go well, eat five cars and fuck dirt and stuff. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I would go to that church. Pet each other's dreadlocks. <laughs> Fucking A, right. Let, where is that one? I'm going to massage your aura. Hey, any church <laughs> nice. where you're allowed to do shrooms on Sunday and pet people's auras, I'm down. <laughs> nice. Uh, anyway, he closes with, of course, if this law is enacted, the Supreme Court could always, and if in, in its infinite wisdom, kill it. You know, and I said, well, when the Supreme Court says that you're no longer allowed to pray at home or go to church of your choosing, I'll agree with you. Yeah. But as for churches in America being required to follow American laws like everybody else for once will remain miles apart. So fuck you. All right. Now, Dennis Byrne, (laughs) on to my paragraph. Okay. Which Ryan mistakenly thought. Well, I wrote that last my, article. My beer overflowed, and then I went to go wipe my eye, and I wiped some some like beer into my eye, and it stung. Now you can see better. I can't because my I got beer <laughs> in my left eye. So it's this a little cloudy. This will be quick. So I I missed last week, and last week was just after the SCOTUS ruling for yep. marriage equality. So mm-hmm. I I wrote down a few thoughts while I was out at uh, the Snake River. Oh, um, <clears throat> the, was, this is, did it did it make you eat any apples, or is it plums? What did the snake make? Oh yeah, yeah, (laughs) right. Never mind. (laughs) No, sorry. Yeah, yeah. We did. We we went to the garden, Olive Olive Garden of Eden. Is that what you're talking about? (laughs) Because the apple bees is forbidden. I I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Okay. I I made some Tuscany soup based off of Olive Garden's recipe this weekend. Sweet, sweet. (laughs) Uh, These were my thoughts during the week. Things have changed, but this is what the four opinions in opposition to marriage equality came from staunch Catholics sitting on the Supreme Court. 
Not only is it unconstitutional to rule or oppose based on the pronouncements of any holy book, they do it anyway, but worse than that is they're all supporters philosophically and financially of an international criminal organization. It can't be known for sure if the justice's exact plate donations are being used to move pedophile priests into hiding uh, to avoid pro- pr- prosecution, but the fact that it's even a possibility their money could be used in such a way and they still give is evidence of their suspect character. By publicly by publicly claiming to be devout Catholics, they are also providing social support for the hideous actions of that church, but still they opposed gay marriage vehemently. So I'm left wondering why support something so obviously terrible and oppose something that isn't. The answer is, if you want Catholics to object to sodomy, tell them it's consensual and with adults. This is Matt Dillahunty, and you're listening to The Godless Revolution. But I'm not going to have Nazism called secularism, if you don't mind. Uh, I'm a prisoner of what I know here. I know too much about it. I've read Mein Kampf, for example, which most people have not, where Hitler says several times, starting very early on, that he's doing God's work in exterminating the Jews. He went on saying that. The Vatican was shown the book. In those days, they would ban any book they didn't like the look of. They were one of the great book-banning organizations in the world. They didn't ban the book that was written by the leader who made his first political treaty in Germany with them and their church and outside Germany between his dictatorship and the Vatican. If you wanted to take your oath, well, you didn't have to want to. You had to, if you were in the German army or in the SS, to take your oath to the Führer, which was compulsory. You took it like this. I swear by Almighty God, undying fealty. Around your belt, if you were a soldier in the Nazi army, you had to wear a buckle that said, Gott mit uns, the German for God, on our side. So we had received some feedback from a few of our fellow atheists who had listened to the show uh, who said that maybe we're being too harsh on our show, that maybe we're too abrasive and may turn off some listeners, or that we may offend any religious believers who may tune into the show to see what the show's about or to see what atheism is about. Uh, Matt, Ryan, and I spoke about it briefly before, you know, the the notion of us being too harsh on the show, of us perhaps turning off somebody new to atheism or new to the movement or a religious person who may happen to catch the show for whatever reason. I don't know why they would be listening to us, but hey, if you are, good on you. Anyway, Matt penned the following for a What Matters section in response to the feedback, and he titled it, Disney Atheism. It's been a fan favorite and one of my favorites ever since. What else we got going on? I have a bit of self-indulgence, if you Uh don't mind. Okay. I want to piggyback on a topic we touched on last week, but I just want to clarify the term that I think we have coined called Disney Atheism. Uh Uh-oh. Yes. And exactly what I mean by that. Is this going to be... A mad rant? <laughs> that, that sounded horrible. That wasn't the voice I thought it was going to be when I turned on earlier. That's all right. <laughs> I thought it was going to be... A mant. A mant. A mant. <laughs> Matrant. But we'll need to come we, up we, with a, we've talked with a catchy a bit, thing for it. Yeah, because we've talked a little bit about how, you know, like we tend to be a little bit unbridled and offensive maybe or vulgar or whatever and definitely strident and firebrand. Um, and have received criticism from 
other atheists who think that that's not the best way to be. And, and, and so I've, I've, we've, we've, on the show, we've kind of coined the term Disney atheism. And I just want to explain exactly what I mean by that so that when that comes up again, uh, you know, it'll be, y'all be, motherfuckers be know known. what we're talking about. So I've just, I've got a little explanation here. Um, Disney atheism is a term we use on the show to describe a specific segment of the G-rated accommodationist atheists who think that the secular movement would do better by openly and kindly interacting with theists or those on the fence. And that has some merit. The reason Disney atheism sounds somewhat condescending is because the group of there's a certain group of accommodationists we are referring to, those who think there's no place at all in the movement for more strident firebrands, and go so far as to criticize firebrands for not atheisting right. I have two major objections to that charge. First, the, quote, too strident criticism supposes that there's only one way to be an atheist, or atheist podcasts, and I think this is so obviously not true on its face that I won't even elaborate. But second... There's an inherent and incorrect assumption that our show and particular style of atheism is designed for religious or on-the-fence people. What is it about our show that makes you think we're interested in filleting theists? (laughs) There are plenty of atheist shows out there who take the road of providing a safe place for religious people to be heard and understood with open dialogue and all atheists are not bound to only using the slow lane. Some of us want to pass. We just ask that you don't give us the finger on our way by. We all see the value in holding hands with theists and leading them out of the fantasy and superstition. But I think recognizing the necessity of firebranding is somehow more murky. So I'll be clear. Our show is for atheists. We've not extended our welcome mat to the religious people. This show and our style are for being the voice of other atheists who are frustrated and may not be able to speak so freely or openly about it in their everyday lives. We're here to say what others think, but can't verbalize. Or for those who do and like knowing, we feel the same way. This shows for energizing atheists, so we don't risk losing the small progress we've made. If we weren't strident, unrelenting atheists, we'd have joined the Disney atheists in popping the champagne and setting up a permanent residence way back at step one of the movement. (laughs) So if you can help lift them up that step out of theism, we'll take it from there. You know, so and, that, I mean, there's room for all of us in this movement, and you know, we see the value of Disney atheists. Sure, you know, just return the favor. Just you know, understand that yes, we have a different style. Yeah. You have a different style than us. You know, why should we respect your G-rated shit any more than you? You know, choose try, to respect to what we're respect doing. Our, yeah, exactly yeah. right. We could turn that around just as easily, but so. There's value to both sides of this, you know, and there's some people out there who are so fucking incredibly frustrated, especially in Utah. That's why yeah. I don't understand the oh, criticism yeah. Yeah. They, that they just they just want to plug in and hear people saying the same kinds of stuff that they're feeling and can't say. And that I guarantee you is not. Well, religion has its place, and uh, we <laughs> no, they want to turn it on and say fucking fuck God they're- and Jesus in his sandy fucking Jew holes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can see why that's one of my favorites. Uh, this next clip has a much more serious tone and comes to us from episode 67, where we were joined by Mark Lawrence and Sarah Kramer from the Restore Our Humanity nonprofit organization. You may remember that Mark Lawrence started Restore Our Humanity and was instrumental in organizing the Kitchen v. Herbert lawsuit 
which led to marriage equality being legal here in Utah even before the SCOTUS handed down its decision legalizing same-sex marriage nationwide. In this clip, Matt calls out religious believers for their bigotry and hatred of the LGBTQ community. It's a bit shorter than the two previous clips, but what it lacks in length, it more than makes up for in impact. So, do you want to, to do your what did you call it? It was a, it was a really good term. Manifesto. No, no. no. I I, I prefer to call them Matt rants. Matt oh, rants. what matters is what I was thinking. The, oh. What matters? Yeah. What uh, matters? I like that. <laughs> this is my like maybe once a month essay that I write when I get too overwhelmed with bullshit um, things I'm researching. Uh, before we before we dive into the World Congress of Families, <clears throat> as I was doing research on this topic, I had a number of thoughts occur to me at the same time. And when that happens, I have mental problems. <laughs> were, you, were you sitting at your desk going, what? 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Internally, I was doing, I was doing that. Uh, I do the same thing. And so being a little bit stifled, um, my release is just to get an essay done of all the thoughts that I have as I'm going through it. So I'll, I'll, I'll quickly read through this. Um, I picture you pounding on your keyboard furiously. Just Actually, I handwrite it. Oh, Old and then I, and then I go through and well, I, I'm I always bring paper. I'm old. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I go through and type it. But anyway, so I'll, I'll I'll go through this and then this will get my thoughts out and we'll jump into the World Congress of Families. <clears throat> Words like queer, homo, cocksucker, buttfucker, coupled with a disregard and denial of full citizenship status, has continually led to confusion, fear, helplessness, self-loathing, loneliness. No isolation, shame, and suicide. Why? For what reason are we, a modern society, causing or even allowing this? Certainly there must be some good reason. Often we're told that it definitely isn't hate or bigotry, but without any legal justification for denying rights, what are we left with? Oh, right, the God. The same God who created them as homosexuals then condemns them to a mortal life of oppression and an afterlife of eternal hellfire. That God. The God of haters. The God whose fans proclaim his infinite mercy and endlessly loving nature. An unconditional love with only one condition. No fags. But we can't blame the hater God fans for the bigotry. No, it's all documented in the infallible magic book of multiple choice. But if you reach all the way back to Leviticus... You'll find it, along with 612 additional rules, some of which include prohibitions of shellfish, mixed fabrics, and having more than one plant type in the garden. But why ignore those and cling to the rather rare anti-gay verses? Simple. Shrimp, polyester, and flowers can't be oppressed. Hate is the motivation. When any inconvenient fact is pointed out about the morally depraved bits of Leviticus, Christians always remind us that the Old Testament isn't valid anymore because a Jewish carpenter was rather ironically nailed to a board. Great, then we can toss out all of Leviticus for good and focus on the vice god. Well, during his supposed time on earth, a mere 33 years, most of that time was never even written about. God incarnate would only have had time enough to inform us of the most critically important things for our salvation. Yet somehow, Jesus himself didn't find it significant enough to mention homosexuality, nor the so-called natural family. So we're we're again, we're left with hate as the primary objection. 
even if it is couched in the guise of tradition or maintaining freedoms. Let's remember there's not some magic pool of rights that's diminished its total volume when rights are extended to other groups. That's privilege. Rights can be extended ad infinitum and should be. Isn't it rather the case that the least free, the least humane, the least compassionate, the least moral thing one can do is to withhold the needs and desires of others, especially when providing them would come at no cost? So what then can be said of those who stand as self-righteous sentinels in defense of prolonging oppression for no benefit? It's often said that history will vindicate equal rights supporters, but as catchy, succinct, and true as that statement is, it still misses the point, because equality isn't subject to time in that way, and doesn't require vindication, because equality has always been, and will always be, the right answer. I think we need to put some music behind that while it plays. I love that. For condemning my friend Stephen, Stephen Fry for his nature, for saying, for saying you couldn't be a member of our church, you're born in sin. He's not being condemned for what he does, he's being condemned for what he is. You're a child made in the image of God. Oh no, you're not. You're a faggot. And you can't join your church and you can't go to heaven. This is disgraceful. It's inhuman. It's obscene, and it comes from a clutch of hysterical, sinister virgins who've already betrayed their charge in the children of their own church. Equality has always been and will always be the right answer. Amen, Brother Mitchell. I'm the oldest member of our Firebrand Trio, and as such, I throw out some old-timey sayings every now and then. Something Matt refers to as my hoo-hoo gold moments. This next clip is titled, Helping Jeb Find the Exit Door, Hoo Hoo Gold Edition, and was pulled from episode 88. That's the first episode where Jeff Linville joined us as a guest. It's also the first episode where we started our new editing process, so you'll probably notice that the sound is markedly improved compared to the previous clips and episodes. In this clip, Matt correctly prognosticates what many other political pundits were saying would be the end of Jeb's run for president. What uh, you said you got a little something prepared over there? Yeah, I have a little. I have a little uh, little thing that I wrote up this week. What's it is? It's uh, it's a little. It's a little news article slash opinion piece I wrote uh, called "Helping Jeb Find the Exit Door." Ooh, hoo hoo gold edition. <laughs> we should make a segment on the show just called "Meow's Corner." <laughs> well, yeah, we, corner. we already had a bit about what matters. What, what, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, Cross Corner. How about that one? Cross Corner, yeah. <laughs> this is a little thing I put together about an article that I found about what's going on in the uh, Jibboosh campaign. Jibboosh. Um, so there's an awful lot of... Uh, Fuckery? My own wording in here, oh, as okay. well as some hoo-hoo gold uh, <laughs> interspersed. Um a year ago, when Jeb began his seemingly hopeless presidential run, he notably declared that he was, quote, his own man, hinting at creating distance from the other bushes. After 12 months of being perpetually disenchanted with his view of the rear ends of nearly every other GOP hopeful, he's gone true Bush by conveniently forgetting his original position. In an attempt to inflate his numbers uh, of his supporters, relatives and those with deep ties to the Bush to the Bush family are gearing up to flood Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada. 
The strategy seems unnecessary, remembering the monkey shines orchestrated in Jeb's own state made it clear to at least Al Gore how unimportant the popular vote is for a Bush. This kind of Tommy rot is nothing new to Bush world, as both George H.W. and W. employed the technique in their own campaigns. Did you say Tommy rot? Yeah, this is the hoo-hoo gold edition. What is that? I told you it'd be interspersed. (laughs) Hussein Cumber, a Bush supporter in Florida, uses inescapable logic to draw support by saying, quote, if you did this for his dad and his brother, you owe it to him, close quote. Of course, that's how it works. (laughs) Despite all the flap doodling from Jeb's yokels. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Don't drink while he's reading this. (laughs) One can't help but think it's too little too late for this run. As we now know, low poll numbers and lack of voter support hasn't stopped any Bush before, and such regular use of jiggery-pokery in their campaigns suggests <laughs> that they don't understand the pesky, quote, building public support part of becoming president. We are talking about C students, after all. <laughs> A question looms, however, since the GOP leaders have been Trump, Carson, Cruz, and Rubio, suggesting that even Republicans don't want another Bush. And Jeb's rather pathetic last-ditch effort to now embrace the ever more reviled Bush family would only do more damage to his floundering campaign. Despite the potential for negative effects, Jeb's supporters plan to bushwhack their way from Florida to South South Carolina, where they can activate their completely unique plan of getting the word out by knocking on doors. Missionary Republicans bothering people at home to ask if they've heard the good word about Jebus is not just humbuggery. (laughs) It's their master plan for taking over the bid for nominee. They'll be part of Jeb's flannel tank top NRA bandana wearing group of 600 previous campaign alumni Floridians. You may be justified in being skeptical about all this terradiddle being able to turn around his campaign in under 12 months. But in 1988, friends of the Bushes from Miami swarmed New Hampshire to help George H.W. bounce back from the third-place position in Iowa. The brilliantly nicknamed Orange Army brought crates of citrus fruit with them to bribe, or, I mean, hand out to voters as they went door-to-door, proving once and for all that some Republicans do remember snacks. (laughs) In 2000, similar trips were made by other Floridians, presumably in the currently between jobs segment of the population who had the time to go all the way to New Hampshire and were called freezing for a reason and to South Carolina as door to door to settle the score. The Bushes will forever be known for their cleverness. I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) I think you are wrong in that, sir. Jeb recalls that, quote, it was pretty crazy, referring to the volunteers involved in the aforementioned comedy routine, many of whom had never been in cold weather before. But, of course, Jeb is absolutely correct. That really is a wild memory that we can all appreciate and was clearly the only noteworthy takeaway from the experience. Jeb and his merry band of swamp-dwelling bigots repeated trips to New Hampshire for Daddy Bush in 1992, who lost the primary, and in 2000 to help Brother Bush, who lost in New Hampshire, and to South Carolina for W, where he won. So if you're not doing the math here, the clever and hilarious comedy routine adventures in Yankee Land have netted a total of 33% victory for a combined two people who aren't Jeb. (laughs) In New Hampshire, (laughs) Jeb made an attempt to address voters' concerns about yet another Bush bid by saying he's commonly asked if he's like his father or his brother and that he's noticed there is a, quote, real fascination about that. 
The fact that Jeb doesn't recognize which parts of his family's policies to distance himself from is exactly the problem. Furthermore, Jeb's plan well, to run real fascination <laughs> about that. Yeah. Furthermore, Jeb's plan to run as his own man by begging Daddy and Big Brother for help inflating his position in the race in states he currently doesn't carry demonstrates why his fiddle-faddle campaign is doomed to fail. <laughs> Comedy genius he'll have to remain because he won't be president in 2016. And I'd urge you to look at those of you who tell you, those people who tell you at your age that you're dead till you believe as they do. What a terrible thing to be telling to children. And that you can only live. And that you can only live by accepting an absolute authority. Don't think of that as a gift. Think of it as a, think of it as a poison chalice. Push it aside, however tempting it is. Take the risk of thinking for yourself. Much more happiness, truth, beauty, and wisdom will come to you that way. Thank you. The following clip comes from episode 90. People say you should never discuss religion or politics in polite society. Bullshit! That was my one-word summary of that idea. As you'll hear in just a moment, Matt, as usual, was much more eloquent. So we're going to cover some news stories this evening. Now okay. Let's swap off. We'll go, we'll go back and forth here. What, okay. What matters tonight? Well, I'm, this one I actually don't need to even preface. I'm just going to jump into it because I think it's going to make sense and we'll blow through this real quick. But okay, something that's been bugging me and, and I think everybody on the show for a while. There's so much that bugs you. Yes, it's true. <laughs> but not everything, not everything bugs me enough for me to write a short essay about maybe every two or three weeks. <laughs> We should never discuss religion or politics in polite society. Bullshit! <laughs> I don't know the source of this quote, uh, nor how long it's been around, but most of us have heard this many times and for many years. It seems to me to be one of those quotes that lots of people are raised with and continue perpetuating without giving it any real thought. So let's fix that. Is it actually impolite to discuss it? Are people avoiding the topics? Well, depending on some possible definitional differences, the answer to both is an emphatic no. Whether or not the topic is impolite usually depends on some subjective opinions about whether or not they have to admit to holding unfounded or ridiculous ideas. First, ask yourself, who benefits from the silence? Consider asking an expert to provide their view on a topic of their interest. They're often flattered and excited while happily giving you the information. But ask someone why they think Obama is the worst president ever? they become defensive and frustrated. They understand that because he's black isn't a real reason and won't be well-received. So the solution? Rather than people changing their minds on the dumb ideas they hold, they've put a moratorium on the whole topic and the racists benefit. Is it really impolite to ask racists to justify such an incorrect position? Or is it actually that the fault lies with the racists? And apparently a good deal of the shame does, too. Almost everyone running for president, all the way down to small-town mayors throughout the history of the United States, back through the despot monarchs of Europe, the sultans of the Middle East and beyond, have professed belief at a minimum and imposed it as a state-sponsored crusader military effort at its worst. We hear the same nonsense from candidates today. Bible over Constitution theocrats like Ted Cruz, Sarah Palin, and Mike Huckabee come to mind. But it's even evident among others who at least appear to be putting on their God suits to broaden their appeal. I think of Trump, Hillary, and maybe even Obama. It's universally understood that religion is closely tied to political victory, and this goes back as far as human writing. 
So who actually is being polite in society by avoiding the topic? Who, who's even following the so-called rule? Oh, right. The atheists. What this really means is that the atheist needs to just shut up and nod along. Because the theists grew tired of feeling like court jesters in public when confronted about the rubbish they espouse. They didn't like having to venture outside the Christ bubble and therefore deemed opposing views to be inappropriate and impolite. Not all speech about religion is barred, because they never stopped. Only the opposing, non-religious views are rude. I realize this sounds like prejudice, bigotry, censorship, and discrimination, because that's exactly what it is. It's an old cliché that most don't consider. But before you repeat this bit of ancient wisdom, remember, no, it's not impolite to get clarification. It turns out that it's just terribly embarrassing for them to answer. Ah, uh, I love the last bit of that clip. It's perfect. Speaking of perfect, the next clip was pulled from episode 98 and is a What Matters segment where Matt addresses some snarky feedback we received via blog post from a probably former listener. It's wonderful. Yeah, so um, I was I was scolded a little bit for. My I think we all were. Yeah, we we all were. Yeah, I I I I made my response um, about me because I didn't want because I'm yeah. the one answering this for me first of all, and also um, I tend to be the one that has the particular attributes that he's pointing out in this more than you guys, I'd say. So I just wrote it as if it was directed at me. Yeah, well, like I said, I, I read through his blog post mm-hmm. earlier today. It starts out kind of nice, but then he turns really dickish. Yeah. You know, when I had just kind of glanced over it before, I was trying to be very charitable. And I was trying to be very charitable in my reading of it today, but it's like every paragraph is dripping with with sniping sarcasm and yeah. just a shitty attitude and absolutely yeah. no, char- no charitable view of anything that we said at all. Yeah. So... Yeah. Um, but this was about, this was about our, um, or at least I'll, I'll, I'll just continue to say my own personal, but you can take it however you want. Uh, for my position on the recent Salt Lake City police shooting of a teen criminal by Nolan Bell on his blog. Um, this was a non-lethal incident, which is of some import to this particular case. Um, and it will allow me a good opportunity to clarify things with Mr. that Mr. Bell thought necessary to write about. I don't mean to make an enemy of him, but since the article he wrote was in an accusatory tone, laced with name-calling rather than that of inquiry, and that he included a nice picture of douchebag Rob Lowe as a stand-in for me, or for us, on the blog, I'll gladly accept that mild contention is the relationship type he'd wish to have, and it so happens that it suits me quite well. (laughs) (laughs) My particular style is of the condescending sarcasm with a twist of irony type. But don't ask me to define it because it's complex and he wouldn't understand it even if I explained it. (laughs) Setting aside immediately after this paragraph, all the grammatical, spacing, punctuation, and spelling errors peppering this article, and... That bothered me while reading through this too, like, (laughs) come on, man. And that the first four paragraphs start with the word so... Ha, they do. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm aware that it isn't always technically incorrect, though it's more of a conversational placeholder than a formally written one and is usually a replacement for um. It reeks of forced authority and pretentiously attempting to brush the statement with a pseudo-logical composition. In the end, however, I did realize that I was looking at a blog and not a word search puzzle and got to work on my response, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like instead to focus on Mr. Bell's actual positions and the positions he assumes that I hold. Without jumping the gun, oops, wordplay, I suspected (laughs) from the outset our disagreement may be that of the is-ought distinction 
and at one point he gets dangerously close to the actual fallacy. If his is just so happens to align with his ought, and insofar as I was able to suss out any clarity, he seems to make a case that is a little too might-makes-right for me, and will have discovered the core of our differences. Unlike verbal irony, hypocrisy is not a figure of speech and goes as follows. Criticizing me for not having all the facts, uh, criticizing me without having all the facts for criticizing someone without having all the facts. Uh, but I'll go ahead and bite the bullet here, uh, because I can understand calling people out when there are disagreements, and I think societies operate better when this is happening. And by doing this, Mr. Bell has the added bonus of piggybacking on our listenership to finally get over the hump and add that 26th Facebook friend. So it's a real win-win. Oh. <laughs> Low blow, sir. Yeah. <laughs> There's a point in the article where Mr. Bell says, I'm being a fucking idiot. And I'm fine with that. Because the wording implies that it's about this issue and not a general statement about me in all things. Yeah, you're being one, not that you mm -hmm. are one, right? And also because much of the misunderstanding falls on my shoulders. I take seriously the responsibility that effectively communicating is a major part of our show, and failing to do so is on me, so point for the blog puzzle. I concede that my statements were emotionally charged, and I don't need to go into all the reasons for that, but suffice it to say that police shootings have become far too commonplace, and my objections, as you'll hear later, are about the ought in this discussion. I will also admit to not being perfectly rational, as all humans are. Mr. Bell initially pointed out that he thought at least until the issue in question that we, quote, seem to be critical thinkers. I've never been accused of such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then claimed that I was pretty irrational on the subject. It's possible I was. It's possible I was in part. Or that he thinks it's irrational because he doesn't agree with my position. But I suspect it's many or all of these things and that he doesn't fully understand my position. Again, my fault. That could be argued, I think. Yeah, could be. I also use, at times, various levels of hyperbole. <laughs> what? <laughs> Would you <laughs> never, ever, ever use hyperbole? Well, not for like a million years. But, <laughs> uh, which immediately tends to give listeners a knee-jerk reaction that what I'm saying is ill-considered or altogether false. This isn't necessarily the case, but if my goal is having my point heard, it should be avoided. In case Mr. Bell may be entertaining the idea that much of this can be dismissed as fallacious ad hominem, don't bother. I'm not saying his argument's invalid simply because he's a magniloquent sycophant. That's purely an insult. By the way, a thesaurus can be a handy tool if you plan to do any writing, by the way. Yes. Pro tip, bro. But I do appreciate his reaching out to give me a chance to clarify and take an overdue step back on the topic. In fact, I feel it necessary to apologize at this point to the co-host of this show, Mr. Bell, and all the other listeners I've infected by failing to check those flaws at the door. At the end of this article, he claims that I'm using bias. Yes, I certainly am. Biases aren't always argument neutralizers, and my bias is that I want to see a world that gets as close to po possible to the least amount of suffering and harm as possible. This obviously colors how I view things and leads nicely into the heart of our problem, the is-ought. Mr. Bell spends a significant portion of the piece on current laws, the state of the conditions leading to forceful actions, graphs, and plenty of statements about the legality and authority of police officers to choose lethal or non-lethal actions. He did not, however, include that only 4% of use of force cases ever lead to indictment. That may, may seem superficially to be a point for him, but unless you think the courts are operating at a level of near perfection, you're left to conclude that there are some problems there. He also says that my use of the word murder for what could eventually be ruled a legal use of lethal force is incorrect. Well, this is definitional. I can't disagree with that. In fact, I agree with all of that. This is the is. He's simply stating the way things are. So if you're not keeping score at home, at this point, Terbell's word labyrinth has a commanding lead at halftime, but now I'll run my <laughs> offense. <laughs> I agree that this is what is. My objection 
is that it doesn't fit my view for minimizing harm, the ought. Mr. Bell didn't appear to clearly, if at all, address his ought in this article unless he thinks the system should be the way it is. I'm not arguing that they aren't doing what they obviously are doing. I'm arguing that they ought to seek for less harmful options as often as is humanly possible. After all, this is the legal standard that citizens are held to, rather strictly at that. And well, it's even and it's even more severe if it's citizen to officer infraction. The right to life ought to be taken seriously and certainly includes the officers as well. Well, and and in part of his diatribe, he does specifically say that justifiable homicide is exactly what we pay our police officers to do for us. Mm-hmm. That's a bit of a fucking stretch. Right. I would say so. But obvious problems do arise with the hypothetical versus practice in my model. And Mr. Bell raised a few of those concerns. How to decide when lethal force is necessary, how to know the level of threat being faced, and so forth. In this particular case, the force ended up being non-lethal, but easily could have been because they decided to use bullets rather than a taser or pepper spray. The person whom they shot was holding a stick. The report is that he was beating a homeless man with it. I realize that the object may not have been clear to the on-scene officers and at very least was a potential threat. The officers had not identified themselves at this point, according to reports, further muddying the waters. Then the officers on scene made the decision to discharge the weapons, presumably aiming for center of mass rather than immediate lethality as he was shot in the stomach and torso for not dropping the stick. At this point, Mr. Bell sets up a false dichotomy and claims that since I didn't agree with the actions of the officer, that I was, quote, siding with an asshole committing a violent crime instead of the victim, close quote. It took the form of a rhetorical question in the Fox News style of accusation. Of course, I don't side with the violent criminal. As I said, my view is minimizing harm. So, yes, stop the beating. But let's do it without creating yet another victim. Mr. Bell seems to have been flirting with the he deserved it defense, though he didn't actually say that. I'm not accusing him of doing so, but that's an objection I expect in some form for at least from at least a few listeners. So I'll touch on that quickly. I'm not saying that all or even most officers are bad. My desire is to point out how systemic lack of oversight and repercussions can lead to even a small minority increasing overall harm. The inappropriate conduct of Catholic priests and children is an adequate analog, but only in the sense that leadership and policy have failed. I know, I know, and I'm not saying that cops are pedophiles. (laughs) What I am saying is that both organizations have the aforementioned issues and improper accountability. Here's the point. When someone says priests are raping kids, I don't hear the apologetics. I don't get the, well, not all priests are bad. The kids and their parents should have known what would happen when they went to church. If he'd only obeyed the priest, none of this would have happened. Or you're just being a hyperbolic, irrational douchebag, and so on. When causing harm is ignored, a few bad apples are allowed to thrive. Okay. He continued, It's, quote, silly to even have an opinion about a situation until all investigations or potential legal proceedings have concluded. He cites the objectively reasonable criteria that investigations pivot upon. And about the objectively reasonable criteria... Um, I'm not going to spend time on potential issues with an oxymoronic statement as the basis for critical decisions, nor will I get into the obvious conflicts of interest involved in the way that investigations are conducted. But I wholeheartedly disagree that I need to withhold my view until the courts tell me what my opinion should be. Perhaps he meant that after it's over, all the information will be there to decide. But as with much of this post, it's not entirely clear which point he's trying to make. Since the ought is my motivation, I can object to officers not defaulting to non-lethal options. The statements of mine in question, however, combined many of my bad habits and was built upon previous statements I've made, and the conclusion was unclear. I was rightfully called out, even if we've been talking cross-purposes. So, this particular case is not at all clear-cut. Mr. Bell rightfully took issue with both words and tone that I had about it, though we were actually speaking about slightly different angles of the topic. 
And I think I've made some progress because he called me out on it, and I do appreciate that. He closed his censoriously toned rebuke by offering some advice about educating myself on the is topics before speaking, so I'll return the free tips favor. <laughs> if you plan on starting a word war and aren't going to use spell check or even have a local elementary school student proofread it for you, at least give it a quick read through before posting it. There's a lot more we could go over here. Feel free to message me and I'll be happy to continue the conversation. I'm sure we can reach a basic agreement. I'm actually quite pleasant online. I hope this is a start to clearing things up. As a quick follow-up to that last clip, we have never received a reply from the bungling blogger, and at this point, I doubt we ever will. Fans of the show were surprised to learn that Matt is also a bit of a poet after he penned this next bit, which was pulled from episode 103. It's titled, Dr. Seuss and the Grand Old Party, or One Hate, Two Hate, Red State, Red State. All right, moving on, what do we got? You brought uh, some stuff? Yeah, do you mind if I just get this one out of the way and then we don't have to then we can just jump into news? Please do. Yeah, you can get it out sure. of the way. Is this is this a what matters? Mm, yes. Ooh, <laughs> I like these. So I wrote this and it's in a different style, but it's uh called Dr. Seuss and the Grand Old Party. The actual title is One Hate, Two Hate, Red State, Red State. <laughs> 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 and it goes like this. The GOP proudly, loudly conservative. Through their myths and ideas, they elevate the primitive. We're the party for the people, or so they claim. Well, what about sex? Full of scorn, judgment, and shame. And you better not try it until you've taken his name. Oh, and never ever do it if your gender's the same. They warn you of evils like condoms and the pill. But don't pull out either, because thou shalt not kill. So just like they wanted, you have a baby on the way. But you're 18 and single. You have nothing to pay. Your life will now be owned forever by someone else. Isn't there a procedure to get rid of these cells? Abortion is murder. You'll have that child to rear. Wait, what's the problem? You kill elk, bison, and deer. You're pro-death penalty, pro-war, and LGBT fear. But of course these are questions they pretend not to hear. So you have to let these cells grow, develop, and change. You'll work with the collectors. You've got huge bills to arrange. You look to the GOP, after all, they're on your side. But they've cut all the funding and aid that you've tried. They give themselves raises to bolster their pride, saying it's un-American to get a free ride. Now you have a two-person family, three jobs, and no car. When you're walking everywhere, one mile's too far. Forced to endure catcalls and threats, tending the bar, but rather than help, they tell you how lazy you are. You continue for years with a dream to retire, but the GOP let the boomers strip that to bare wire. You're old and diseased, living in pain and regret. The GOP's labeled you a burden, a taker, a debt. There's nothing left for you now but to get worse, wither, and die. You've seen at its best the GOP's pro-life stance is a lie. You want to go peacefully and pain-free to the worms, but the GOP steps in demanding deaths on their terms. No death with dignity. It's against God, they say. But the small government party regulates how and which way. Maximal suffering, fear, hate, and greed make up the GOP's anti-human creed. So get out and vote and make compassion the distinction. Soon enough, we'll have driven the inhumane GOP to extinction. Nice. That was fucking awesome, man. I loved all of that. Thanks, dude. That covers an entire lifetime of misery. An entire lifetime of misery suffered at the hands of loving, religiously motivated, failed GOP policies. If you want more of that shit, be sure to go out and vote for Donald fucking Trump. 
To be an atheist, you have to believe that it is possible, which I think is a far greater leap of faith. That's something that can be created out of nothing. When you, when you look at the majesty and sophistication and the in intricacy of the universe that we do know and comprehend, you have to believe that somehow that this energy could have existed on its own, and I do not believe that is... That, to me, is a leap of faith. You, you give me the awful impression, I hate to have to say it, of someone who hasn't read any of the arguments against your position ever. The following is a What Matters addressing Ted Cruz's departure from the Republican primary race, taking pot shots at the rest of the GOP lineup along the way, and comes from episode 105. Um, I've got a little bit of a wrap-up on Cruz. Oh, yeah? yeah? Well, then, let's do that. I'll fold my arms and sit back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Strap in. This will be the longest thing I do all night. Is it? Yeah. Okay. When Donald Trump trounced Jeb Bush and TKO'd Marco Rubio, he ostensibly defeated the idea of what the GOP, quote, should be. After last week's tap out of Ted Cruz, Trump has beaten the second tier of contemporary Republican values, what I'm now calling theoconservative conservatism. Theoconservatives, as the name suggests, combines the religious fervor of ISIS, but for the Bible, with cold and cruel authoritarian pol politics that share a property line with fascism. Theocons are fond of painting themselves as only the most recent installment of a tradition going back through Reagan, Goldwater, and the Founding Fathers. See David Barton for more on that subject. <laughs> While it may have some roots in the past with leaders like McCarthy, it's really a younger phenomenon. Twins conceived in the image of W.C. average ideas and seething hatred for the N-word, I mean, <laughs> President Obama. <laughs> While many Republicans viewed George W. Bush's post-September 11th popularity and 2004 majority victory as his climax and worth salvaging among future candidates, theocons seem to have admired and imitated Bush's collapse and incompetence, even borrowing human rights violations as keys for their platform, arguing that it proved he had been far too liberal and that his compassion like Guantanamo, was heretical and led to the failings of the Republicans in 2008 and 2012. Theocons now have a childlike determination to vehemently reject anything with the mild scent of big government, except in cases of imposing biblical mm. morals, and avoiding at all costs the even the smallest compromise. If there were any examples of Bush being the least bit soft-hearted, theoconservatism responds by being stubbornly, sternly Ayn Randian. Where Bush treated government spending like it was his daddy's money, theoconservatives would be brutally austere where its citizens are concerned, military accepted, of course. And above all, where Bush had occasionally looked for bipartisanship, theocons would stand on the, quote, principle of fighting until they reach submission. This bullying and only child syndrome of a philosophy found champions on talk radio helped solidify a zealous, uneducated group of martyr fantasizers into the current Tea Party, it influenced Paul Ryan's budgets and infused Mitt Romney's You Built That rhetoric. But it was only the of the government shutdown of 2013 that it found the real personification of its rhetoric. Ted Cruz. Boo. And Dr. Seuss. Cruz found a way to steer into the authoritarian Christian skid. His 2016 campaign strategy was simple. Wherever the party's most ideological voters were, there he would be. If Obama was for it, he was against it. Where conservatives were angry, he would channel their anger. Where they wanted a fighter, he would be that fighter. Wherever the party's activists were gathered on whatever issue, social or economic, immigration or the flat tax, he would be standing by their side. He would win Iowa, the South, his native Texas, and the Mountain West. They wanted Reagan. Cruz would give them Ronald Mussolini. Mm. Well, close enough. It didn't quite work, but it nearly did. 
He took evangelical votes from the man who still comes just a little when he hears Eye of the Tiger, Mike Huckabee. A doctor so compassionate he once gave his own brain to a patient, Ben Carson. A man so Catholic he uses a diaper to masturbate, Rick Santorum. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Cruz also took libertarian votes from the other doctor who thinks it's your fault if you don't have a rich father, Rand Paul. He outlasted in many, and in many ways outplayed the very smooth Eagle Scout who never earned his hydration merit badge, Marco Rubio. <laughs> Marco Roboto. Yeah. <laughs> he earned support from the, I'm a regular guy, just like I'm a regular Christian, Mitt Romney, not Barbara's favorite son, Jeb Bush, and illegitimate son of Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham. <laughs> but it turned out that not enough Republican voters wanted theoconservatism, at least the way Cruz sold it. Uh, maybe they would have wanted it from a candidate with more charisma and charm and less repugnant social unlikability. But the entire Trump phenomenon suggests phenomenon? Phenomenon nom nom. Phenomenon. The Trump phenomenon suggests otherwise. And Trump as the nominee is basically a long proof against the conservative theory of the Republican Party. Trump proved that movement of conservative ideas and litmus tests don't really have any purchase on millions of Republican voters. Again and again, Cruz and the other GOP candidates stressed that Trump really wasn't a conservative. They listed his heresies, cataloged his deviations, dug up barely buried liberal past. No doubt this case resonated with many Republicans, but not with nearly enough of them to make Cruz the nominee. Trump proved that many evangelical voters, supposedly the heart of the theoconservative coalition, are actually not values voters or religious conservatives at all. Uh, and that the less frequently evangelicals go to church, the more likely they are to vote for a philander th- philander- <laughs> philandering sybarite instead of a pastor's son. Cruz would probably be on his way to the Republican nomination if he had simply carried the Deep South. But unless, the vote- unless voters were the in-church-every-Sunday type, Trump identity politics had more appeal than Cruz's theological political correctness. Trump proved that many of the party's moderates and establishmentarian, establishmentarians ha, uh, hate the thought of a Theocon nominee even more than they fear handing the nomination to a proto-fascist, grotesque with zero political experience and poor imp- impulse control. Cruz will be back, no doubt. He's young, and he'll be able to claim in 2020 that Theoconservative conservatism has, has yet been left untried. But that will be a half-truth. It isn't being tried this year because the Republican Party's voters had rejected him and it when they declined to back Rubio and Jeb. What remains then is Trumpism, which will also, in its lurching, sometimes insightful, often wicked way, a theory of what can of what kind of re- party the Republicans should become, and one that the plurality of Republicans now actually inv- voted to embrace. There was a time when I was sure that Ted Cruz was more dangerous than Donald Trump. These days, I'm not so sure. While Cruz is, without a doubt, a Bible-thumping theocratic conservative, he lacked Trump's ability to whip his fans into a racist, misogynistic frenzy as easily or as openly and willingly as Donald fucking Trump. The offer of certainty, the offer of complete security, the offer of an impermeable faith that can't give way, is an offer of something not worth having. I want to live my life taking the risk all the time that I don't know anything like enough yet, that I haven't understood enough, that I can't know enough, that I'm always hungrily operating on the, on the margins of, of a potentially great harvest of future 
knowledge and wisdom. I wouldn't have it any other way. Before I introduce this last clip, I'm going to let Meg tell you all about how and where to contact us for feedback and ask that you please go out and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to the show. It'll help us out a lot, and I'll be sure to put in a good word with Santa, Krampus, Baphomet, Thor, or Jeebus that you receive hugs and kisses on all of your pink parts for doing so. If you have questions, comments, concerns, compliments, corrections, or concepts for content, contact the show via email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com, by text or voicemail at 330-81-REBEL, or Twitter the Twatter at TGI Podcast. Thanks, bitches. Thanks, Meg. For those of you who don't know, Meg is one of Matt's sisters. She's been on the show a few times, and I talked her into doing a few drops for us because I think she's got a great voice. So she's the one you hear doing our contact information and the when the next rant will begin in a few seconds, all of those happy little drops that I throw in in between uh, segments of the show. So thank you very much, Meg. I really appreciate that you did that for us. You're awesome. We all know there is a cure for poverty. It's a rudimentary one. It does work, though. It works everywhere for the same reason. It's colloquially called the empowerment of women. It's the only thing that does work. If you allow women control over, some control over their cycle of reproduction so that they're not chained by their husbands or by village custom to annual animal-type pregnancies, early death, disease, and so on. If you will free them from that, give them some basic... Uh, health of that sort, and if you're generous enough to throw in perhaps a handful of seeds and a bit of credit, the whole floor, culturally, socially, medically, uh, economic of that village will rise. It works every time. This last clip is the most recent segment of What Matters, and comes from episode 107. It's also the most requested clip based on listener feedback when I put out a call for which segments to include. Matt was a guest on the Utah Outcasts show, and he and one of the hosts, Felicia Entwistle, got into a back-and-forth discussing Matt's disdain for superheroes and Felicia's disdain for sports ball, as she puts it. Matt wrote this segment to further expand on and explain his position. I have a piece that I've written to bring to the show. <laughs> oh, really? Uh-huh. Whatever is it? <laughs> well, you see, when I was on the Utah... Once upon a time, I was on another <laughs> podcast. Yeah, on the uh, Utah... Outcased, podcast. <laughs> hey, you sound like Jake. Yeah. Uh, what's her name? Fel- f- f- what is it? Fel- uh, Felicity Twizzler. Fornicopia. Oh, Fornicopia. Twizzler. Oh, the the tree, the tree whistler. The tree whistler. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Felicia of yes. the Utah Outcasts. Yes. Um, had some some questions for me. Appar- like apparently, lady. my position was not clear. Which position was that? I have said before on the show that I'm not uh, particularly a big fan of the superheroes. Because you're not 12. Right. Yeah, you're and, an adult. <laughs> and I have also mentioned that, or at least demonstrated that I am a fan of the sports ball. Yeah, but it's the Patriots. Right. Sure. So it's a sports cheat ball. <laughs> so uh <laughs> apparently she she saw a conflict in that and i'll just uh i'll just get into uh more clearly outlining my position why i say because i'm not 12 the and this hopefully will encompass all that and make it crystal clear make all of us feel really bad no oh okay um just felicia 
<laughs> also, uh, these are my thoughts, the views and express, opinions expressed, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Amid a slew of objections and constant shifting to which straw man she wanted to erect, I've managed to pull one, which is actually something I can argue against, and goes as follows. She said, quote, explain to me why your interest in this the sports ball, where it's basically cavemen hitting balls with sticks, makes you so superior to our complex mythologies of godlike beings explaining complex issues. Close quote. Hopefully she can organize her thoughts into a coherent rebuttal to this, but I'm not Aquaman, so won't be holding my breath. <laughs> Aquaman is the worst of superheroes. <laughs> dearest hey, dearest Felicia. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Dearest Felicia of the Utah Outcast podcast. The appeal of sports is that we get to observe humans pushing the limits of what we're capable of in areas of genetics, diet, discipline, and strategy by competing against the best we have to offer in reality. Even where the word fantasy is used in sports, it's still based on actions in the world. The fantasy part is being able to build teams the way you like, but from a list of living humans and their actions in this dimension. Uh, sure, it can be considered a certain type of nerdy to memorize a running back's 40-yard dash time or a quarterback's longest touchdown pass, but these are records of actual human achievements, however arbitrary the rules surrounding the sport may be. But our arbitrary rules in sports still have infinitely more meaning than the Flash can run 17,000 miles per hour or Superman can reverse <laughs> the rotation of stars by flying real fast. Oh, and Ant-Man? Yeah, he can shrink down to nearly microscopic size but still somehow increase his strength. So when the time comes for some real comic relief, he'll be able to toss aside the bad guy by the nose. Dude, he's gone Hilarious. quantum. He's gone quantum. Yeah. <sighs> Comparing any of these real... <laughs> These real stats in sports is apples to oranges at best because sup with superheroes, it's entirely made up. They can write whatever their nerdy hearts desire. Yet even with all that freedom, they wrote in Nicolas Cage as the ghostwriter and Ben Affleck as Daredevil. Forget about the perpetually moist-eyed Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man. Really smutty Tom Brady fanfic is more entertaining <laughs> than this. The perpetually mo perpetually moist-eyed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Unlike sports, which is limited to the confines of physics, superheroes are simply another embodiment of humans' fantasy for the impossible. Superheroes are just the most recent in a long line of gods and savior types that humans have written down in a book. It's a way for people who are constantly Mr. Magooing through life to fantasize about invincibility and nationalism and the majestic triumph over their daily struggles. Thinking they can identify with the hero allows them to pretend that they, too, are exceptional and of the highest moral resolve something the human ego demands but can never deliver. The fact that people can't realize perfection in themselves yet remain arrogant and self-important is what provides the fuel and appeal for the savior story. If people like strong, powerful heroes, why not create a hero who is exponentially stronger and more powerful than any hero made before? But the success of this Abrahamic-style character is down to lowest common denominator pandering. Much like Paul of Tarsus and Muhammad, the superhero creators figured out exactly what big dumb thing the people wanted, and the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they still design all of the superheroes with, with flaws, right? They're, none of them are perfect because they mm. know that would be totally boring, like Superman. I'll get into it. All right. <laughs> so whether it's the Quran or Catwoman, the Bible or Beast, they've created those saviors. Some, like Thor, are shamelessly ripped directly from traditional religious myths and placed easily into the, margil, the Marvel religious-adjacent myth. And there are scores of saviors. Marvel at how many saviors there are. <laughs> <laughs> Enough to satisfy a wide variety of human egos and personalities, so everyone can play make-believe with themselves at the very center, just the way they like it. 
For people who are overly enamored with themselves, such that only pure perfection will do, there are the Jesus archetypes. Don't get me started on the brilliant names of these guys. Superman, Cyclops, Spider-Man, and my personal favorite, Captain America. He's the bestest. Imagine if Mr. Peanut's name was the equally heavy-handed Lieutenant Britain. That's how silly it seems to me. (laughs) If you pass on the Jesus heroes because you prefer a tiny bit of depth and some inner conflict in your gods, as the ancient Greeks did, there are Batman, Daredevil, and the Hulk, who's pretty incredible, by the way. If you're slightly misanthropic and life's been tough, you may be more inclined to cheer for a brooding, vengeful Jew-type anti-hero like the Punisher, Deadpool, or Wolverine. Jew-god-type anti-hero. Those are a few of my favorites. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, they're they're better for sure. Uh, these writers have even been clever and original enough to include a Satan for each and every one of their heroes, because without adversity, heroes are worthless. But even when it comes to inflating inflated heroes battling the evils of other dimensions, it's done poorly. All of these films follow a, ge- a very generic formula. Bad guy shows up, causes a ruckus, hero gets in a muddle. Pause for a quick gut check to be sure he's doing the right thing. Yep, he is. Defeat bad guy. (laughs) Ah, the hero's journey. A classic story platform. Gilgamesh, The Odyssey, The Bible, Marvel. Swap any of these heroes out for another, and the premise remains exactly the same. In these movies, the explosions might roll one one after another, gunfire and vehicles crashing, leaving a wake of wrecked cars, smoking piles of leveled buildings, and sometimes armies of slain foes strewn about. So dramatic and cinematic. We're all swelling with pride and accomplishment. Time to cue the victory close-up of the hero with cuts and scrapes on his face. None actively bleeding, of course, but at least you know he's been really brave. (laughs) Maybe there's an injury, possibly a serious one. But this is where the lack of story development becomes the most obvious. There's a vast chasm between the consequences of violence in these movies and the audience. Violence can be artful. It can be used to make a strong point. This violence, though, is so sanitized that the impact is lost. Remember that all all but one of the 176,000 superhero movies are rated PG-13. It's filler, meant to appease a society that finds swearing offensive but loves God, guns and winning, Murica and all that. Fights and explosions are a transparent gimmick to get the crowd rooting for the hero without ever having to believe they're in any real danger. In contrast, there is no script in sports, thus a real understanding that loss is possible, and it happens, providing a much more engaging viewer experience. In many cases, the quality of a superhero movie is based upon how closely it follows the sacred text. This comes primarily primarily from people who grew up reading the comic books at an age when it would be acceptable, in my view. But they never let it go and have grown into the adult pastors of DC and Marvel, judging the movies by the holy books they read as a child. Actually, in Spider-Man's world. (laughs) Exactly. Alan Moore, who is responsible for three well-known superhero tales, including The Killing Joke, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, and Watchmen says, quote, superheroes were originally in the hands of writers who would actively expand the imagination of nine to 13 year old audience. That was completely why what they were meant to do. And they were doing it excellently. These days, super superhero comics think the audience is certainly not nine to 13. It's nothing to do with them. It's an audience largely of 30, 40, 50, 60 year old men, usually men. Someone came up with the term graphic novel. These readers latched onto it. They were simply interested in a way that they could validate their continued love of Green Lantern or Spider-Man without appearing in some way emotionally subnormal. Close quote. <laughs> this may seem to be sensori- censoriously toned, but I'm pointing out that children were the original demographic for comic heroes. And just because I think that's obvious doesn't make me condescending. All that stuff I said a moment ago does. <laughs> <laughs> 
the fact that I'm having to say this simply to defend the reason I don't like superhero movies is a demonstration of the dogmatism that can exist within the geekdom of gods. It's apparently not enough that I just don't like it and we all move on. I'm also required to justify such an incomprehensible stance. In this particular case, it's taken an adapted form of atheists have faith too by saying that my criticism of superheroes is off limits because I enjoy a football game and that makes me somehow hypocritical. Curious. Never mind that part of my continued interest in football is that my son plays for the high school team. He may or may not be in the NFL someday, but one thing is certain. He will never be a mythical comic superhero. But I'm not saying that nobody should find enjoyment in the myths of superhero saviors. I just don't. But to say that admiration for the fantasy of Marvel or DC is in any way the same as watching real humans compete with each other in sport is a strange sort of equivocation in which the only real challenge in refuting it is figuring out how anybody could be serious in proposing it. Bye, Felicia. (laughs) I am. You got served. I see a dance-off coming in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Can we break dance fight? Yes. You've thrown down the gauntlet. And now oh, she she knows it's she knows it's been brought. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to hearing her response. <laughs> and if anyone's curious about that, you'll have to go to the last Utah Outcasts episode and hear the original question and content and uh, then check out their next one or whenever she gets around to posting a rebuttal. Just listen to all of them. Bye, Felicia. And good morning, good evening or good night to the rest of you. And we we give Felicia a little bit of a hard time in that episode, but we love Chris, Kyle, and Felicia from the Utah Outcasts. It's a fun show. If you haven't listened to it, you should go and check it out. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and tripped down memory lane as much as I have. Matt, we miss you, buddy, and look forward to having you back on the show very soon. As always, thanks for listening. Vive la Revolution! I don't know about you. But I take comfort in that. It's good knowing he's out there taking her easy for all us sinners. Shush. I sure hope he makes the finals. Well, that about does her. Wraps her all up. Things seem to have worked out pretty good. And it was a pretty good story, don't you think? Made me laugh to beat the band. Parts anyway. I guess that's the way the whole darn human comedy keeps perpetuating itself. Down through the generations. Westward the wagons. Across the sands of time until we... Oh, look at me. I'm rambling again. Well, I hope you folks enjoyed yourselves. Catch you later on down the trail. Say, friend, get any more of that good stuff? First of all, fuck truck. I don't know what any holes are for anything. We're in America. Speak Cherokee. Thank you for you. I'm a weird bigot. It's a big pile of didgeridoo-doo, man. My headlines are already written because I'm prepared. I'm very excited to read the one about pedophile math. When I'm done, I put it here, and then I put the next one in like that, and then I just have to reverse it. Right in the (laughs) testicles, and then to the anus! There's never been an organization of a collection of ideas in the history of mankind that's been more wrong about Mm -hmm. more things more often in more ways than religion ever. They get every single answer wrong about everything, (laughs) all the time.